Hello and welcome to the Mostly Weather podcast. Uh, my name is Jeff Norwood Brown, and I'm joined today by Catherine Ross, hello, and Claire Whittam, hello. And we'll be looking at the Hall of Fame again. And today it's Claire's turn. And who have you brought to the table, Claire? I have brought Francis Beaufort today. So uh, you can call him Admiral if you like, or Sir. We'll get to that point in his life and career, I think. Um, and he's a really fascinating character, actually. Um, he was born in 1774, and from sort of almost the age of 10, he then had this really amazing life that spanned the entire world almost. Uh, and he went on to be uh, one of the, the founding fathers, if you like, of some of the, the modern meteorological wind information that we use these days. So I will get to that. But he was um, a sailor in the Royal Navy uh, is where he really started out. So he was born in uh, Ireland. Um, but I get the impression from reading a bit about his family that they, they moved around a lot. His father was a priest, but it seems like he was very well educated uh, and then as a result interacted with lots of people sort of who uh, were uh, well educated or interested in science and nature and all of those things that were sort of becoming... Uh, you know, the Age of Enlightenment, I think, was happening around then. Um, so I, I get the impression he was exposed to a wide variety of ideas by his father and his family, which kind of set him up for, for some of the things he did in his later life. But at the time, I think joining the Royal Navy was almost the sort of thing that, that young boys did. And uh, he then set up to have a career in the Royal Navy, which lasted for very many years and involved him serving on a range of different ships and eventually getting to the position of captain of a ship. But through this time, I've been reading a biography that sort of has some of his diary entries and letters in it. And uh, he's an interesting character. He never really seemed like he was very happy with his lot when he was in his sort of uh, teens and 20s and was kind of constantly raging at the Admiralty about how he should be having, a, you know, he should be more advanced in his career than he was and how he should be captain of a ship already. And, um, you know, he must, he sounds like kind of an awkward person to have dealt with. Um, but also, I guess in that time, a lot of the more senior members on board a ship uh, had, you know, money behind them and they sort of almost bought their way onto these ships as senior sailors. So that that's, you know... A, it's something that he didn't have at his advantage. So he really had to demonstrate his worth as a seaman. And one of his great skills was in being able to um, take readings from the stars, but also to map the coastlines. He was obviously a very good artist. And this got noticed by the Admiralty and by some of the people he worked with and allowed him to sort of move up the ranks. It's uh, interesting that sort of two of the key people in meteorological histories of Beaufort and Fitzroy are both surveyors, both Royal Naval careers. It's interesting how they link up. That's it. And we've talked about Fitzroy in a previous Hall of Fame. And yeah, there, there were very strong similarities between some of the work they went off and did. So so would you describe them as cartographers? Is, is, is this a science at this point, do you think? Or Interesting. It's not a term that I've seen used. I, I guess it was so much within the Navy and mm. they were they were taking very coast, coastal surveying. Yeah. <laughs> as an aside. Yeah, okay. But they clearly had to be very good at, you know, taking these angles and these measurements from, from on ships and then on land, um, and then also being able to sketch the maps and draw them with remarkable detail. I mean I think almost some of the stuff that both Beaufort and possibly Fitzroy were involved in, almost still in use today because the level of detail that they had was so precise. Really? Okay. Um, so, so he has that sort of side to him as well. But I think the, the aspect that most people are more familiar with, or hopefully, is the Beaufort scale, or the wind scale. So that's probably why most people have heard of Sir Francis Beaufort. Um, and he jotted this down in a diary, I think sometime in January 1806, um, or possibly a bit later than that. 
So Catherine, to my great pleasure, has brought <laughs> along uh, a very old looking book, which I think might have some of these original jottings. Please tell me what's in that book, Catherine. It looks so exciting. Uh, yes, I've brought along a hidebound diary, one of the complete set of Admiral Beaufort's diaries, which we hold in the archives. They, they start him being a lieutenant and work all the way up through. Um, and post-retirement. Uh, and this is the diary where he does write down the Beaufort scale for the first time. That is the actual diary. This is the actual diary. This is in. the very first Beaufort scale. Wow. As that a weather fantastic. nerd, that's hugely exciting. <laughs> and it's so neat as well. So uh, there's two different sides to this then, Catherine. So one looks like it's the sort of... The, I can see some numbers. And uh, so 0 to 13, starting with calm at 0 and 13 to storm. But underneath there's a load of letters as well. That's something people are probably less familiar with. Yes, so Beaufort obviously came up with a Beaufort scale of wind and that that 0 to 13 is his first attempt at at that wind scale. Obviously, we're more used to a a scale of 12. Um, He actually revised this just the following year in 1807 and it went down to 12 and finished with hurricane, which is much more familiar to us today. Um, But underneath that, you've got Beaufort letters, which he used to create a more consistent way of describing the weather conditions. Um, and they were in use until very, oh, right, very recently. right, up until 2004, 2005, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I mean, again, they've gone through many revisions, <laughs> but, I mean, the, the, one of them here, B for Blue Sky, I think went all the way through to the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they were, you know, even into this century, they were still being used, and you had to log them um, as an observer in, in one of the outstations, and... I never learnt them. Oh, I was going to give you a test, Jeff, but you know. <laughs> no, I, was, I was terrible at them. Oh, they're, they're, but they're, yeah, FG for foggy and S for sultry. That's a good word, isn't it? And SH for showers. Yeah, so very descriptive. I mean, how many are there? There's probably about 20 different descriptions. Yeah, they, as I say, they, they sort of change each time you see him doing it. He did three versions of these in the diaries that we've got, and, and they're always like, some of them stay all the way through and some of them change. G for greasy weather is one of my favourites. Mm. Greasy weather, brilliant. <laughs> but they're very descriptive terms, but they, it was just all done so that, you know, if this was rolled out across you know, the Royal Navy, which of course was the aim, I think, uh, was that everybody could use some kind of consistent approach. Mm. I think that's it, and I think that's where his thinking was coming from, that he was obviously very interested in logging the weather and understanding the wind patterns as but well. But the, the, these, uh, these lesser codes uh, are still used, um, in some extent, in uh, METARs and TAFs, uh, if anyone's familiar with those. Uh, these are uh, things that pilots use. So a TAF is a terminal, terminal air forecast, and a okay. METAR is, is a MET uh, report. And the METAR tells you what's actually happening at a particular um, airport at any one time. And you still get things like SHRA, which is showers of rain, you know. Um, so these four-letter codes are still used, and they are largely based on Beaufort. So they're still used to this day. Oh, my goodness. So, so this page we're looking at here is, what, I don't know, 150 years old? Well, Maybe? 1806. 1806. Yeah. Okay, so 200 years old. You just said, what did you say, Jeff? S-H-S-R-A. <laughs> okay, S-H, shower. And what was the other one? R-A. R-A. We've got R for rain got R here. R for yeah. rain. That's unbelievable. But we still use it. It's, and, but it's interesting that that's evolved from being a key part for the Royal Navy, which was both at sort of life, into, as you say, now being much more aviation or Oh, yeah, it's all aviation-based, you know. But the same letters are still relevant. And it's, it's interesting, he says at the top um, in handwriting, which takes a little bit of getting used to, uh, Hereafter, I shall estimate the force of the wind according to the following scale, as nothing can convey a more uncertain idea of wind and weather 
than the old expressions of moderate and cloudy, etc. Everyone's just using general terms and nobody knows what they mean. So he's trying to be much more precise in here. It's fascinating. The thing I didn't know, though, was because uh, I guess I've always thought of the Beaufort scale, you know, as him sort of coming up with this idea of revolutionising how we describe the winds into the terms that were useful for sailors and sailors would be aware of. And I think modern day iterations have turned that into things like things blowing on the washing line or smoke from smoke. chimneys and brought it back in, into the land-based I smoke at school. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And leaves on branches. But he's at, he actually sort of developed this idea from existing concepts, some from the Navy, but also one that was to do with windmills on land to help millers understand, uh, you know, the, the wind speed and what impact really? that might have okay. on I must try on and find sound. that. I mean, I, I've got his... In, in the archive, we, we, we've got his original... Well, his second version of this, where he starts talking about how how a ship will move according to the various different scales. And, of course, that makes it much easier to use because, you know, you know that if you've got to take in a reef, that means it's 4.6 or what have you. But I've never heard of it being for millers. So I think so, yeah. So it sounds like... Actually, you know, he's he's got this label, if you like, as being the, the father of this idea. But a lot of similar ideas were being developed both on land and, and by other sea captains, so, I guess. Some of the, the language he uses, is it, it, when we're getting into like Force 12, it's phenomenal phenomenal winds or uh... yeah we I mean he yeah he talks about i mean in the in the first one where force 12 is not the highest force right. of course <laughs> you get hard gale with heavy gusts um and force 13 is storm and of course now that's you know not yeah. well, not the way we'd think of it but in in his second and kind of more realistic version it's force it's force 12 is hurricane yeah and that's but... just it there's and even after that when he starts describing how it affects a ship you still when you get to force 12 it's just hurricane exclamation mark mm. there's no reference to <laughs> yeah. whether you need to take in a reef or take, a, take down all your sails. It's just, you must know what a hurricane is. <laughs> it, it's almost as though we couldn't spell arg. You know? <laughs> I love that exclamation mark. That's, that's a good way to really emphasise that. Yeah, it's there's just no really, going back really bad. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, at the time he probably wrote it in his notebook for almost personal use, yes. for his own logs, wasn't it? But um, when he eventually retired from sailing and uh, became quite a key figure, I think, in the Admiralty and in wider scientific circles, he eventually did manage to get this into sort of Navy procedures so that it was rolled out across the board to all captains around the world. One of the things I've heard, I don't know if it's if it's accurate, but um, was that obviously he knew Fitzroy very well when Fitzroy was a naval captain before his career in the Met Office. Um, and that he actually gave Fitzroy a, essentially a copy of this scale and asked him to test it out when he was going around the world on the Beagle with Darwin to see how well it worked. Oh, that's fascinating. So, you know, if that's true, then that's quite interesting. Because you do see things that say that sort of Fitzroy was maybe a bit of a protege of Beaufort mm. or how well they knew each other is a little bit unclear to me from some of the, the letters I've read. But they were clearly sort of instrumental in both each other's careers. I think so, yes. Sort of like the, I guess, the mid-1800s of yeah, that period. Yeah, 1820s, 1830s, I think. Yeah. But I guess Beaufort was, did a whole load of other stuff that we're perhaps less aware of, which is, you know, he did some incredible mapping of uh, what would now be the Turkish coastlines. Um, and he and his crew were the first people to discover some of like the... Uh, the remains from ancient, this is going to show my lack of the classics, but not not ancient Greece, but it's sort of ancient Troy and those sort, that sort of periods with some wow. out there and some of the first people to see it and some incredible detailed sketches of that, which really stood the test of time uh, for, I guess, archaeologists. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But also what you may not know is that he was really badly injured um, when he was sort of not a captain in the ship. He uh, was getting quite frustrated about the fact that he hadn't managed to be sent out in charge of basically capturing a French ship. And this seemed to be, you know, the the pastime of the Navy and they got the spoils (laughs) and things like that. And uh, so they'd seen a ship go into port somewhere and he led a sort of a nighttime raiding party basically on this ship. They rowed in on small boats got up to the side um, and he was leading a group of sailors and when they got to the top they basically opened fire and Beaufort was sort of cut to pieces effectively during this raid and um, I mean reading the description it's a miracle he's he he was alive and basically spent a whole year kind of convalescing in a naval hospital somewhere in uh sort so, of so Gibraltar we, or something. So he was a privateer it was this it was he was like a state-owned pirate well it, the, I mean, the royal navy at the time <laughs> right, so, yeah, i mean we were sort of at war with france during some of this period and so capturing french ships or other uh, ships that might be seen to be more like privateers was, was the norm really and they, they called them they refer to them as prizes mm-hmm. and that's how they would you know they they'd raid a ship and then they might recommission that ship under the royal navy often it was recommissioned under the yeah under the white ensign and then the captain would we would receive prize money for the value of that ship and this is not a thing we can do now um, <laughs> not to the best just of my thinking, knowledge <laughs> when i've got my boat out to go around to anglesey and <laughs> Well, actually, after, after Trafalgar, which is another thing that Beaufort mentions in his diary, he wasn't there, but he was, um, his ship was stationed off Portsmouth when um, the victory and, and the surviving ships from Trafalgar came back. And he describes in there that, you know, that how everybody dropped their, their masts to half, sorry, dropped their ensigns to half mast when, when Admiral Nelson's ship was brought up with the body of Nelson on board. Um, oh, of course, because he would have been a sailor during that period. Absolutely, just yes. You know, he hadn't been he, at the he battle. He wasn't itself. at the battle, but he, he he was on board a ship um, at the time. He was captain of the ship at the time. In fact, it's actually in this diary, um, and so he sort of describes all of that aftermath of the Battle of Trafalgar. But obviously, one of the things they tried to do from Trafalgar was bring back a lot of the French ships. Unfortunately, there was a really bad storm, and you know the, the British fleet was lucky to get back in one you know, half of one piece, and they had to leave many of the French prizes behind in the end. But Yes, they they would have been looking to make a fortune from it. As, having read some of the excerpts of his diary, I mean, it, it's clear, you know, he was a naval man through and through. You know, there's terminology in there that doesn't make much sense to a modern reader uh, about some of the boats and the ships and things like that. And he was, I think, quite proud to be a member of the Navy. Oh, I think so, yes. He does, he does mention in here issuing a, a, an extra grog ration to celebrate the victory at Trafalgar. <laughs> <laughs> and something else I hadn't realised was that... Um, the captains of the ships and also some of their lower-ranked officers were actually in charge of teaching some of the junior sailors and the junior officers. So being such an amazingly skilled, um, let's call him a cartographer, he passed that on to his sort of uh, junior officers and then they were able to take that knowledge forward and also continue on his sort of legacy as, um, yeah, the mapping side of things, which I think he then went on to be sort of like the head of that in when he retired from being at sea yeah, into the Admiralty, gathering together all these quantity of charts for the whole world so that they'd be available for other people to use. The other interesting thing about Beaufort is that he has a cipher named after him. So this is a bit of code. I don't know if you've (laughs) come across this. So um, I think it's something he probably developed as a child, almost maybe as, you know, something you do with kids so you can, you know, write to each other in a code so your parents can't read it, for example. Yeah. 
But this seems to be something he kept through until, you know, almost before he died. Was That's actually really interesting because there is cipher in his diaries and I've never known where, what it's about. Ah, OK. So it's, it's, a, it's a known cipher. I am referring to my notes now, uh, which and I can't pronounce this. Uh, it's based on something called the Vigniere, I think, cipher. Some French word, I think. Everyone's oh, yeah. I'm very looking familiar. blank. No, oh, thanks, Jeff. No Excellent. idea. <laughs> which he modified, uh, presumably when he was still very young. I mean, showing that he was probably quite intelligent at a very young age. Um, and so, yeah, Catherine, yeah, you shall have to dig this I'm out and have to start go and find interpreting. Because it's, I may be able to interpret some of the cipher in here. Exactly. You might, you might be slightly disturbed by what you then read. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think some people have deciphered some of it, and it sounds like a lot of it is about uh, sort of more his uh, sexual activities, shall we say. That could be why it's in cipher. Which might be why it's in cipher. Um, and, but also, I think. You know, some of his um, fears and concerns and, you know, some of the, the feelings of shame or whatever he might have had about some things he'd done are possibly written in the cipher code so mm. other people couldn't read them. Um, which is interesting because when we talked about Fitzroy, you know, we talked about him having sort of depression episodes and things like that so again they seem to have been quite similar in sort of not not having a great deal of uncertainty in their abilities at some at some stages in their careers and that maybe being stranded on a ship on your own for so long but they're they're obviously driven people aren't they Mm. the the, the people who were you know i mean uh, to do the undertakings that they've done like fitzroy and uh, and as you say Beaufort, you know to, to go on these expeditions is just incredible you know and then try and help the world you know with the learning and their understanding and try and make the world better i mean that's an incredible driven person you know to do that exactly and i mean both i've said he sort of railed against the establishment but he was eventually knighted for his services to the country and for the navy but um even then it was very late on in his life so he did eventually get all these accolades but it was almost as though he wasn't really a it, he wasn't recognised for what he was doing at the time by his own <laughs> opinions, but also perhaps by, you know, the, a modern view looking back was what he did turned out to be much more fundamental than perhaps people realised at the time. And his legacy goes on, you know, it's still, you know, everything he did, we still use to this day. Is that true? So do we still use the Beaufort scale on a regular basis? I, I mean, certainly it's something we teach the children to understand. You still wind. say, you know, force 11, force 12, gale yeah. force, this, that and the other. So you the know, shipping so forecast will yeah, still use Yeah, the shipping them. forecast still uses it, yeah. Fantastic. So, yes, 200 years after he made some notes in his very neat diary. Very neat, say. yes. Are we allowed to take a copy of this and put yes, it into the show absolutely. notes? That would be fantastic. That so we'll make sure we get that on the Met Office website with the podcast show notes and also maybe try and send a photo out on the Twitter feed. So at NW underscore podcast, take a look. It's, it is really fascinating. I'm really pleased Catherine's been able to come along with that. Well, I think we were lucky with the weather forecast as well today. It all comes back to the weather because <laughs> Catherine said if it was raining today, we wouldn't have been able to see it. So. Yes, because we store these materials in a different building and I, I can't bring them outside if they might possibly get wet so it had to be absolutely dry <laughs> so the the gods of weather have shone on us today as well <laughs> um as as it looks like they probably shone on Beaufort as well given his legacy absolutely. so fantastic i think I'm, I'm about out of my Beaufort facts there jeff Okay, thanks for that, Claire. If anybody wants to get in touch, you can reach us on at MW underscore podcast or you can reach myself on Jeff N. Brown. And I'm on at Claire S. Whittam on Twitter. And Catherine looks like Twitter no, is the worst thing that's ever existed. <laughs> I'm an archivist. Yeah, yeah. I deal with books. I deal with paper. paper. That's fair enough. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.